Hi there. Today we're continuing our current series considering God's work through the lives of Abraham and Sarah. And we'll be looking at another step in the forming of the Abrahamic covenant. We started looking at this in Genesis 12, where God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. And last time God was saying to Abraham that he and Sarah would have a son of their own, which is an important step towards becoming a nation. And Abraham, believing God for this promise and it being credited to him as righteousness. But God hadn't finished talking and Abraham hadn't finished asking him questions. So let's read what happened next. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they will be enslaved and ill-treated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and will be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give this land. From the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. So starting in verse seven there, the Lord speaks. I love that the Lord is clear about who he is and that it was him who got Abraham moving out of her and it will be him that will be giving Abraham the land that he's, that he's promising. He, God's made, making another promise here to give Abraham this land and to take possession of it. This was, uh, to be fair uh, to Abraham, I guess a bit vague uh, I can imagine it being a bit tricky for Abraham to wrap his head around it. I mean, he had a bit of an entourage at this point, but he didn't have a son yet uh, and certainly wasn't a nation. How much land was God talking about? Uh, when was moving in date? So Abraham asks God for a bit more detail. And I love the way he asks, because the way he asks starts with him being very clear about who he is addressing. He says, Sovereign Lord, the Lord who determines what he does. What a great posture when we're asking God for clarification on some promise he has made us. Sovereign Lord, 
showing us again that this is still a story of God's sovereignty and his grace, even more than it is a story of the faith God graciously gave Abraham. So Abraham asked this additional question and the rest of the chapter is God answering by continuing this covenant making process that he is in with Abraham. Perhaps it was one of those moments where, like where you, where you throw out a hook in a conversation, uh, alluding subtly to something in the hope that the person will nibble and you can say, wow, well, I'm glad you asked me that. So God is ready to answer. We saw last week how God made a promise to Abraham that he and Sarah would have a son and Abraham believed him. And we see in a, we'll, we'll see in a couple of weeks, uh, another step in confirming that covenant. In order to become a nation, you need people and land. And hence now we're seeing this promise of land. So let's look at this making of this promise uh, in a little bit more detail because it's uh, quite a vivid picture, isn't it? With animals cut up. It seems to be a cultural way of making a covenant at the time. So uh, one that would have, wouldn't have maybe surprised Abraham that much at the beginning as God gets Abraham to set, set things up with the animals in halves. The covenant, this covenant making ritual resembles what we read in Jeremiah 34 uh, and in verse 18 it says, those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. In its full form, probably both parties would pass through the dismembered animals uh, to invoke a like fate on themselves should they break a pledge. Um, but here, however, Abraham's part, intriguingly, is only to set the scene, um, maybe to guard it from violation, to keep off the, the birds of prey. We can imagine that Abraham may be more surprised by the walking through being done by just one party, and that by being the Lord himself in this theophany of fire and smoke that passes through uh, and thus confirms the covenant. What's significant is here to us, I think, is that the Lord does it by himself. Abraham doesn't walk through and yet the covenant is established. It did remind me of Hebrews 6 verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. It's all God's initiative. He doesn't need Abraham to approve or validate uh, or, or even agree to his covenant. He just has to receive it. And the same is true of his promises to us. If God says he loves us, he loves us. We don't actually get a say in that. We can believe it now or we can believe it later. But it's true because he says it is. If he says he's created us, he's credited us with righteousness, then we are made righteous. If he says our sins are forgiven, they're forgiven indeed. If he says nothing can separate us from his love, then we can turn away, sorry, 
If he says nothing can separate us from him, then we can turn to him at any moment and in every situation. And if he says he'll give us his spirit, then let's receive it. If he says he is preparing a place for us in eternity, then let's live with that in mind. When God makes promises to us, he can make them on his own terms. Sovereign Lord. In the middle of uh, the, the two ends uh, of this covenant-making process that, that, that are in the chapter here, we have a couple of verses in the middle there, uh, sandwiched, where we have this dream that Abraham has that's... Uh, uh, context is a, a dreadful darkness that comes over him um, and it's a, appropriate I suppose because it's a foretelling of tough times ahead in fact for several generations and then that that will be followed by the taking possession of the promised land it's like God's preparing Abraham's descendants for a time of slavery and ill treatment and I guess Abraham must have passed this uh, part of the, the dream onto them and they would have lived with the knowledge of that and uh, some of them would have uh, been uh, would, would have seen that and then and then the ones that then took possession of the promised land would have been thinking of that promise uh, that whole promise at that time perhaps at this point Abraham is wishing he hadn't actually asked for more detail um, we always want the good news don't we but we don't always want the answer, not yet, or after a trial. Have you ever prayed for something and got the answer, yes, and you can even wait a bit so that uh, you get to trust me in the waiting first? Is that the kind of answer you like to hear from God? Amazingly, we have centuries of the subsequent history to reference uh, right here. Uh, we can read that it did indeed all pan out, it did all happen as God said it would. Uh, we see in Genesis and Exodus and into Joshua, at the time of Abraham's great-grandson Joseph, the 12 tribes arriving in Egypt. We read about the time of slavery until the Lord sends Moses to lead them out. Got me thinking a little bit about those times in the Bible where we see a long period of waiting, maybe summarised in a short sentence. Um, Moses' life uh, himself, he, he spent years in exile. Uh, he got married, had children. He was 80 before he headed back to Egypt, maybe 40 years or so. Uh, uh, not a lot written about it. Uh, seems quite short in the Bible. And in our minds, maybe we can think that that's not, not much of a big deal. 40 years of his life perhaps was. Joseph, a yeah, little bit of time in jail. Actually, he was in jail for some time and then another couple of years, even after the cupbearer got out. So significant amounts of time waiting. We may see long narratives about the great breakthroughs and the battles being won and uh, how it all panned out uh, well and the taking of the land. And we can maybe fall into that trap of thinking, uh, yeah, that it's all about the victories. I'm not trying to be exact, just trying to get us to remember that God's sovereignty allows him to choose which multiple years of trial one will go through. 
which period of time of waiting another will go through. It also reminds us that God always gives full possession in the end. So the impact on Abraham's physical descendants is clearly documented. We see that period of time. Abraham himself, he gets a a promise that he will live to a good old age and rest in peace, which happens. And the sovereign Lord, as Abraham likes to call him there, is allowed to sovereignly choose, as I say, who faces which persecution. And he sees that what he has to face in his life uh, and what his descendants get to face in those theirs. But we can know that it's always for the good of those whom the Lord loves and calls. Just looking on to verse 14 there, we can see about uh, the way the promise is fulfilled with the taking great possessions or coming out of Egypt with great possessions. Um, It says afterwards you will come out with great possessions. Uh, Again, we can see that uh, uh, further on in Exodus. Uh, So let me just give you a quick quick overview, quoting a couple of verses to, to see how this next 400 years did actually happen as God said it would. In Exodus 3, God speaking to Moses, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. Recognise some of those? And they came out with these great possessions. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. And then further on, now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. So we can see that 400 years uh, passes uh, while they're there. Then they come out. When we see uh, in, in, uh, in Joshua, he, as, they, as they start to move into the promised land, towards the end in chapter 12, it summarizes and it gives a list of the defeated kings. And it starts with Sihon, king of the Amorites. And it finishes uh, in verse eight with, these were the lands of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Again, these are the lands that God had promised Abraham right back when. He's a promise keeper. He does what he determines. He is sovereign and he is good. So if that dream was fulfilled in the period of history from Abraham to Joshua, his physical descendants in the physical land, then what times are we living in? And what, 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 what promises uh, of God are for us? Well, the story here also points to Jesus. It points to the establishment of the new covenant. 
where the pattern is in some way repeated. The sovereign Lord initiates a covenant with his people in Jesus. With the promise that eventually we will enter eternal promised land. And also that until Jesus comes again, we live in the challenging time that we do now. Uh, the challenging time like what would have been in, in, in Egypt, in slavery, the now and not yet. They were still the people of God in Egypt, it was in difficult circumstances. We're still the people of God now, and we live in challenging times. But during this time, this is a time when God is gathering a people of faith. He's building his church, he's establishing his kingdom. He has dealt with the enemy, he's crushed Satan, dealt with all death and sickness, breaking every chain and setting his people free. Now, by his grace, we get to walk in that freedom. We get to persevere in taking hold by faith of the spoils of this great victory. We look at uh, Galatians 3 and verse 26. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we recognize that our identity is that we are in Christ now, his children through faith and Abraham's seed, heirs of, this, of the promise. So this account is very much for everyone whom the sovereign Lord has called. Now I can't assume that all watching this have made this decision for Christ and acted on it yet. If not, you can do that. You can do that even now. Recognize the sovereignty of the Lord. Confess your sins, receive this cleansing gift of righteousness. You could be baptized, or at least you could talk to us about planning a post-lockdown baptism. You can become a disciple of Jesus. You can join the church. For those of us already on this discipleship journey, where are we at today? We can live by faith from receiving the gift of righteousness, applying our faith in every circumstance, to every act of service, to every trial, to every persecution, when taking possession of each blessing that God is giving us. Are we actually doing this? From first to last, living by faith in the sovereign Lord? We'll see more of Abraham's life in future weeks and how he lived by faith. And of course, this book is full of examples of people living by faith. It's what we're called to do. Perseverance is not uh, passive, waiting, it's, and it never has to finish. We're called to start taking possession, to put our faith into action, step by step, to keep believing, keep hoping. Through testing and trials, of course the enemy will contest every step of faith. What would an uncontested step of faith look like anyway? 
When taking our steps of faith, do we try to impose timescales on God? Or are we prepared to die waiting? I guess for seven generations, Abraham, his descendants, died before receiving, entering the promised land. Uh, are we ready for seven generations after us to complete the taking of possessions of promises we're believing for? Not even in the end of this part of our life can stop us. Those promises transcend generations. God's plan was from before us and will continue after us. Hebrews 13, we can read about Abraham, Sarah, Isaac and Jacob being referred to and it's saying all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. So not even death can stop us living by faith. We could ask ourselves, what steps of faith is the Lord asking us to take next? Where is he prompting us? Of course, our steps of faith look weird to the world, perhaps even feel a bit counterintuitive to ourselves. They may be in the area of friendships and relationships, perhaps in the area of finance, of family life, it could be about sharing your story of coming to faith more freely. Perhaps it's about being deliberate about coming out of lockdown. Confidently meeting up with more people. Learning how to relate in three dimensions again. Sharing food and time together again. Things we haven't done so much for a while. Maybe it'll take faith to get back in to some of those things. Inviting someone you haven't before into your garden, maybe before long into your home. Faith is looking ahead. What's God prompting you to start doing? To continue doing, or perhaps even to stop doing? So often it's in the seemingly ordinary everyday stuff of life that battles of faith are won. So we have many promises God has given us, many long-standing ones found in this everlasting word as to what God will give his people. You might have personal promises that God's communicated to you. Let's not forget those. I'd like to, I'd like to finish with this. So today we've remembered God's sovereignty, in which he chose, he used that to choose to make a covenant with Abraham and his physical descendants, and also to make this new covenant in which we live, through Jesus. Let's be overwhelmed again by his graciousness in using his sovereignty to make that choice. And we've remembered the journey of faith that we are on. It's coming out of slavery, it's coming into freedom, so my prayer today is that these truths and perspectives that have come to us from this passage here would equip us and stir us again to acts of everyday faith. Promises we have in Christ are vast and certain. We can persevere in living by faith in a messy world. 
And we are to keep taking possession of all that God is giving us.